How many of you have brothers and sisters and or sisters? Anybody? Brothers and or sisters? Now, how many of you with brothers and or sisters have experienced this thing called sibling rivalry? Sibling rivalry, yes. If you have a brother and or a sister, you have probably experienced sibling rivalry at some point in your life. Unless you're an only child like my child, and when he starts experiencing sibling rivalry, we think about getting him tested. So, um, dude, who are you fighting with? But, uh, so, uh, there's a story that goes of this uh, two young boys, uh, older brother, younger brother, and they're getting ready to boil some eggs. They're just little guys, you know, but, you know, they, they can boil eggs. So they get ready to boil eggs, and uh, the older brother pulls three eggs out of the carton, says to the younger brother, I'll give you a dollar if you let me break these three eggs over your head. Little guy's like, hey, a dollar, all right, yeah, we can do this. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. Are you ready? Ready. I'm going to break these three eggs over your head, and I'll give you a dollar. Little brother says, promise. Older brother says, promise. Older brother takes the first egg. Crack! Right on top of his head. And like egg starts pouring down his face and his head. And he's standing there shaking. Okay, okay, second egg. Older brother takes the second egg. Crack! Right on top of his head. Let's it go. And oh, goo and egg going down his face and onto his shoulders and down his clothes. He's like, okay, ready for the third egg. The older brother says, it's not coming. Younger brother says, why not? He goes, because that would cost me a dollar. <laughs> promises. <laughs> we, we, we don't always keep our promises, do we? I know sometimes I don't keep my promises. And, and I feel bad. I feel bad when I don't keep my promises. Uh, I'll promise to do something with somebody, and, and something will come up, a situation, a circumstance will arise, and I, and I fail to keep my promise. Anybody ever feel that way? And it's hard. When you make a promise to somebody, whether it's uh, your spouse or your child or your grandchild or your parents, you make a promise to somebody and then you don't keep your promises, you feel bad about it. You feel guilty about it. You know, because I think for me, I know I intend to keep my promises. When I make a promise to somebody, I intend to keep it. And I want to keep my promise. But again, sometimes circumstances and situations arise and I just, I end up not keeping my promise like I should. And I feel bad about that. There are times in my life when I'll make a promise that I have no intention of keeping. Anybody ever do that one? It's like you make plans with somebody. It's like, you know what? I don't even know why I made those plans. I am not doing that at all. There's no way that I'm ever going to. I don't even know why I said I'd do that. There's, I don't intend to keep that promise. And, and, but we all do that, right? We all have times in our lives where we will make a promise that we either intend to keep or maybe we'll make a promise that we don't intend to keep. And, and, and it makes people question us. It makes people question our motives. It makes people question our intentions. It makes people question our trustworthiness. Or, or somebody will make a promise to us. Somebody will promise us that they're going to do something or they're going to be somewhere. They're going to pick you up to take you to the airport. They're going to do something in, for you and they'll make a promise and then they don't keep the promise. And then it's like, well, I, I can't trust you anymore because you broke your promise. And then what will we do? Well, sometimes we'll project that onto God. We'll project that onto God and say, well, I don't know that God is going to keep his promises because my father didn't keep his promise to his family. Or my mother didn't keep her promise to me. Or my brother or sister didn't keep their promise. Or my, my kids didn't keep their promise. Or my grandparents didn't keep their promise. Or my boss didn't keep his promise. 
or my pastor didn't keep his promise. Somebody in your life didn't keep a promise and you project that onto God and you say, how do I know that God is going to keep his promises when the people I know and I trust don't keep their promises? I'm here to tell you today that God is a God who keeps all of his promises. God keeps his promises. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how Jesus frees us to receive a promise. Now, we've been studying the book of Galatians here on Sunday mornings uh, this year in 2018. The book of Galatians is a letter written to a series of churches in the region of Galatia, which no longer exists, but uh, the region of Galatia is in what is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, and this letter was written in about halfway through the first century, maybe 20, 25 years after Jesus was crucified and raised back to life. So Paul is writing this letter to a group of churches who are experiencing a problem. That's one of the things that you'll, uh, one of the uh, things you'll notice about the letters that Paul writes or that Peter writes or John writes. They wrote them to, earth, to early Christians and to first century churches to address issues and problems that those churches were having. And the problem they were having in the region of Galatia, the problem they were having in the churches at Galatia, was this problem of freedom. And what are we free to do in Christ? And, and, and where are we uh, obligated to follow the law? And, and how are we saved? And all these questions came up. And the reason is because of this, a group of people called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were first century Jewish Christians who were telling Gentile believers that they had to be circumcised before they could become a Christian. They had to become a Jew outwardly before they could become a Christian. Uh, the sign, the physical sign of, of Judaism was circumcision. Uh, all Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. And so um, what the Judaizers were telling the Gentile believers is that they needed to undergo the rite of circumcision before they could become a, a follower of Jesus. And Paul is writing this letter to refute that and say, nope, that's not the case. And so that's what we've been talking about here on Sunday morning, talking about how Jesus frees us, uh, how Jesus frees us from our past, uh, how Jesus frees us by faith. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus frees us to receive the promise. And we're going to talk about three promises that we have in Jesus Christ uh, this morning. So if you've got your Bible, turn to uh, Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. If you're uh, watching online, uh, grab your Bible, turn to Galatians 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 824. Or you can uh, follow along in your smartphone or tablet using a Bible app, or the words will be on the screen as well. We want to give everybody an opportunity to read the Word of God today. So we're going to look, we're going to look at this passage in three different pieces. Uh, and there are three different promises. So uh, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to start. Now, before we look at 3, 1 through 5, uh, I want to look at verses, verse 21 of chapter 2, where he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And we know that Christ didn't die for nothing, that Christ died for something. Either he died for someone, he died for us. And Christ, the reason Christ died was because we can't keep the law. We can't follow the law of God perfectly, whether it's the Ten Commandments or the 613 laws of the Old Testament. We break the law. We are lawbreakers. We fall short. We miss the mark. We don't do the things that we say we're going to do, and we do the things that we're not supposed to do. We're sinners. That's what breaking God's law is. It's sin. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that everyone is a sinner. We're all sinners. 
And so because we're all sinners, we need forgiveness. Because we have sinned against God, we need forgiveness. And that forgiveness comes by God's grace. It's a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that this morning. So look at verses 1 through 5. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That word bewitched in the ancient Greek uh, is a word that means hypnotized. So who has hypnotized you? Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. This harkens back to verse uh, 20 of uh, chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. So Jesus was crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And Paul is asking a very important question because one of the promises we receive from God when we put our faith and trust in Jesus is the Holy Spirit, that God's very spirit comes to dwell in our hearts and fills us completely. So how do we get the gift of the Holy Spirit? And it happens uh, when we get baptized, like Ryan and Karen did this morning. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, Paul wrote this. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We'll talk more about baptism next week uh, in light of what uh, Paul writes to the Galatians there in verses 26 and 27. But what he's telling them today is that the Holy Spirit that they received from God uh, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus was a sign uh, of God's favor upon them, of, of their forgiveness, of their salvation. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, was working signs and miracles among them at that time. Uh, and, and those were the outward signs that they had received God's Spirit. And they received the Spirit by God's grace through faith, not through human effort, not through any human means, not by obeying the law or being good enough or, or tithing enough or uh, anything like that. It was by God's grace. It was a gift of grace. So how do we receive this gift? In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter preached a, preached a powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, and the question has come up in our connection groups over the past few weeks, and, and the question has come up in my mind is, okay, so is, is baptism a work? Is baptism a law? Is it a commandment? Is it something that we have to do? Uh, I don't think it's something that we do. I believe it's something that is done to us, that it is an act of submission, uh, that, uh, and it's a condition of salvation. Uh, it's not a law to follow, and it's not something, like I said, that you can do to earn God's grace, but rather it is a receiving of God's grace. So how do we receive this gift, uh, this, this, this gift that God has for every single one of us. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Paul wrote, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So it is by faith. We have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for our sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul wrote, For it is by grace you have been saved, this gift of God, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. See, if you can be saved by your own efforts, by your own works, by the good things and good deeds that you did and that you do, you could boast. You could brag and say, well, I do this. 
I could say, well, I preach sermons. I preach, I preach 10,000 sermons in my life. You know, look at me. Look at how great I am. God has to forgive my sins because I'm such a great preacher. <laughs> um, thank you. But, uh, you know, or somebody else could say, well, I helped 25 old ladies cross the street, you know, as a Boy Scout. And, and good for you, you know. And, and, but, so therefore, I deserve to have my sins forgiven. Or I led 15 people to accept Jesus as their Savior, and, and therefore I should be forgiven. Or uh, I went to church every Sunday, and, and, and even on Sunday night when we had Sunday night services, and, and I did all that, you know, and so therefore I deserve to have God forgive me. The, real, the reality of the situation is you can never be good enough to deserve God's forgiveness. It is a gift of God that we receive by His grace through faith, in Jesus Christ. So you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, like Ryan and Karen said earlier. Uh, and then uh, we have to repent. Another condition of salvation is repentance. In Acts 17.30, uh, uh, in Acts 17.30 it says, He commands, God commands all people everywhere to repent. So repentance is a condition of salvation. We have to repent from our sins. And that means to have a change of mind, which leads to a change of behavior. But it's not the change of behavior, it's the change of mind. So we've got to change our minds about, how, about, about sin. We need to change our mind about God. We need to change our mind about uh, forgiveness. We've got to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness in repentance. So we've got to repent. We need to confess our faith publicly, like Ryan and Karen did just a little bit ago. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with, one, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we need to publicly confess our faith and acknowledge the fact that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. He died for our sins and was raised on the third day. And then we come to baptism, and in Acts 2.38, we see repentance and baptism together when he says, uh, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we need to believe in Jesus, repent from our sins, confess our faith, and get baptized. And when we do, God washes away our sins. Uh, as it says in 1 Peter 3.21, uh, Peter's talking about baptism, and it says, Baptism which corresponds to this, he's talking about Noah's flood, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's always a gift, it's always by grace, and it's always through faith expressed in baptism. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God forgives our sins. And we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and begins to change us and work in us and transform us and make us more like Jesus. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. It's a process called sanctification. It's a fancy word for, for uh, another fancy word, transformation. That the work of transformation is not your job, it's the job of the Holy Spirit. And when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, the Holy Spirit does that work of transformation, of making you look more like Jesus in the way that you love, serve, and forgive other people. That's what the job of the Holy Spirit is to do. And we receive this promised Holy Spirit when we, when we accept God's offer of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. So, we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's promise number one. Promise number two we'll find in verses six through nine. He says, Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. 
The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, he says to Abraham. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So here's a little story about Abraham. Way back in, in Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abram, before, his name became, before he changed his name to Abraham, he says to Abram, uh, look up at the sky and count the stars and you will have more offspring, more descendants than the stars in the sky. There was a problem with this though. Abraham didn't even have one descendant. He didn't even have one offspring, let alone a multitude of offspring. But in Genesis 15, 6, it says, uh, Abram believed the Lord and he, the Lord, credited to him, Abraham, uh, as righteousness. And so when God made him a promise that he would have a family and he would have all these descendants and all this offspring, when God made that promise, Abram believed him. And when he believed the promise, it was credited to him as righteousness. It had nothing to do with his obedience to circumcision. That doesn't happen until Genesis 17. It didn't have anything to do with his uh, obedience to sacrifice his son Isaac. That happened in Genesis 22. Great story. Read it sometime. Genesis 22 and when God tells Abram uh, to sacrifice his teenage son Isaac, you know how I know he was a teenager? Because Abraham didn't argue with him. <laughs> sacrifice your, your teenage son Isaac. Okay. Where? When? Let's go. No. Uh, so, <laughs> but God saved Isaac at the last minute. So, um, so the story of Abraham is one that he receives righteousness by faith, by believing God's word. And then uh, we get the promise of being part of God's family. Because it, God told Abram, uh, Abraham that he was going to bless all nations through him. He was going to bless all nations by sending his son, Jesus, the Messiah, through the line of Abraham. And it's, the Messiah came and blessed all nations, including the Gentiles, including us, and saved us from our sins through Jesus Christ. And now we are made part of God's family of faith by faith in Jesus. So we have a promise of the Holy Spirit. We have a promise of being part of God's family. And then there's one more promise. And it's not really a promise. It's, it's, it's not just a promise we receive, but it's, a prom it's something that we don't get. It's a promise not to be cursed. Look at verses 10 through 14. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have the promise of being part of God's family of faith. And then instead of being cursed, we receive these promises instead. So the other promise, the third promise is one of not being cursed. Because in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 27 verse 26, uh, the people were told, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. So anyone who did not fully obey the law of Moses, anyone who did not do what God commanded them to do, would be cursed. Would be cursed. Now this is really bad news. Because we don't fully keep the law. And when we don't fully keep the law, we're guilty of, bre of, of breaking it. We're lawbreakers. 
In fact, in James chapter 2, verse 10, James said, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So if you uh, tell a lie, if you bear false witness against your neighbor, if you break one of the Ten Commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. You've broken all the commandments. If you covet, you're guilty of breaking all the commandments. If you steal, you're guilty of breaking all the commandments. We're all lawbreakers. We're all sinners. And we all fall short. And we all mess up. We all sin against God. We need His forgiveness. But according to Old Testament law, when we break His law, we deserve to be cursed. We deserve to be cursed. But instead of curses, we get a promise. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, Paul quotes the, the prophet Habakkuk when he says, the righteous one will live by his faith or by his faithfulness. That it's, we do not live by following the law. We live, we have life by faith. We have life by faith. Not by keeping the law. Because as Paul says in Leviticus 18.5, says, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So we have to keep, either keep the law perfectly and then we will have life or we have life by faith. And since we've already talked about we don't keep the law, we don't do what we're supposed to, we, we mess up time and time again. Because we don't keep the law, we deserve to be cursed. But by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, instead of being cursed, we are set free from the curse. And we are given a promise instead. And the reason that we have this promise is because Christ became cursed for us. In Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, it says, If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight, but be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And Jesus, the Son of God, went to a pole. He went to a tree. He went to the cross. And he was hung on a cross, hung on a pole. And he became the cursed one for us so that we the lawbreakers wouldn't have to be cursed instead we the lawbreakers receive a promise a promise we don't deserve but we receive this promise instead of the curse praise be to God so what does this mean what does this mean for us we who receive a promise by faith by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ couple things. One, I want to challenge you today that if if you haven't received this promise yet, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, if you haven't been made part of God's family by faith, I want to encourage you to, to, I want to encourage you to get baptized. But if you haven't made that decision for yourself yet to get baptized, we invite, we have an invitation every Sunday. You can do what Ryan and Karen did. You can do it today. If you're ready to make that step of faith, we have clothes you can change into and I can testify the water's about 85 degrees. It's gorgeous. If you're ready to make that step of faith, we encourage you to do that. Or maybe, just have, maybe it's time for a conversation. Maybe it's time to talk about it. And we'll get together and we'll talk about it. Just come grab me after the service. Say, I, I got to know more. I, I got to talk about this. Or um, if, if you have been baptized, if, you, if you're living in light of these promises, but you have a hard time trusting God, I want you to know this. God is the original promise keeper. God keeps his promises. When he says that he will love you unconditionally forever and ever. When God says that he loves you unconditionally, that's a promise you can count on. 
because that's a promise that God keeps. And God keeps his word. When he says that he will never leave you, when he says that he will never abandon you, when he says that he will never forsake you, he means it. God keeps his promises. When he says that he will forgive your sins by his grace through faith in his son Jesus, he means it. Because God keeps his promises. When he says that he will send his son back to take us home to live with him forever and ever and ever in eternity, he means it. And he will keep his promises. Because God is the original promise keeper. And no matter how many promises we break, because we do, and we'll say, God, I'll never do that again. I promise I'll, I'll never do that again, or I'll never say that again, or I'll never think that again. I'll never do those things again. I'll never sin in that way again. I'll, I'll stop doing this, or I'll stop doing that, or I'll start doing this, I'll start doing that. And, and, and when we make promises, we tend to break them. And even when we break promises, God will never break his. God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his people. He is faithful to love and to forgive. He is faithful to abide. God is faithful because he is the original promise keeper. And so if you have a hard time trusting people, if you, if you project that onto God and say, I've, I've got a hard time trusting God, I want you to know you can trust him. He will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He hasn't failed you yet, and he, is, he isn't planning to start anytime soon. God never fails. God keeps his promises. Every single one. And they are true, and they are yes in Christ Jesus. All of his promises are true, and all of his promises are yes. And you can hold to that promise. So that whatever you're going through, in the pain in your heart, in the pain in your life, in the, in the suffering that you experience, in your, the, you can hold to a promise like Psalm 34, 12. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So that if your heart is broken today or you feel like your spirit is being crushed by the weight of the world, I want you to know that God is close to you and that he can rescue you. Then you can hold to a promise that God is your ever-present help in times of trouble. That he is there to help you and not hurt you. He is there to help you and not hinder you. That God is on your side. That God, God is on team you. God is on team you. He is with you and he will never leave you. He is with you and he will never forsake you. He is with you and he will never abandon you. These are the promises that he's made. And he keeps his promises. Every single one of them. So if you're struggling today to believe and accept the promises of God, know this, he will come through and he will not leave you and he will not fail you for he is the promise keeper.